You're listening to the Scattered Seeds Podcast, where every life has a story. To hear somebody's story and to hear how the story of Christ and the gospel intersects with somebody's life so that their story is taken up into the story of Christ. I don't, there's no better story to hear. It's powerful when God has brought you through something, because not only can you go, this is what God has brought me through, maybe it can touch that one person. I was a week away from leaving my career in the media and about to embark on the communications job, which I now occupy here at the church. Never underestimate the sovereignty of God. What does it take to go from losing every game in a season to building a program that has had one of the best records in Grove City College's history? If you could ask Coach Andrew D. Donato as we did, he would tell you that it would take vision, process, and love, brick by brick. Andrew is the youngest head coach Grove City has ever had, and he has had quite the uphill battle to face. But his faith in the principles listed have turned things around. What does Andrew value even more than the statistics on the scoreboard? The life lessons his players take away from the field and put into play beyond college. So join Tom and Nate as they interview Coach Andrew DiDonato on this week's episode. Welcome to the Scattitudes Podcast, where every life has a story. Welcome, Andrew, to the Scattered Seeds Podcast. You have a celebrated career already at a very young age, but perhaps the thing that most distinguishes you to our audience at Beverly Heights is that you were taught in kindergarten by Linda Brenton. I assume you have no memory of that, but... (laughs) uh, My family has had a close relationship with the Brentons for many years, so I have two older brothers who also have gone through South Fayette School District, so... She's had us all, all in class, and amazing woman of the Lord, and uh, a very neat connection there. For non-Beverly Heights listeners, of whom we have a fair number now, Linda Brenton is an institution at Beverly Heights, uh, (laughs) and in South Fayette, I think. That's right. Gosh, the number of people she has taught over a very long and distinguished career. So anyway, that was cool. Absolutely. Uh, Just by way of background, give the listeners a little bit of your bio You've been at Grove City College as the head football coach for five years. You've really turned around what was a moribund program last year, tying the best record ever, I believe, in the history of the program. Nine wins, two losses. So the Wolverines, that's their nickname, they, uh, they did quite well. And I was reading your bio, you were 32-0. and 0. That's 32 wins and zero losses as the offensive coordinator for the South Fayette High School football team, which won two state championships during your tenure there as the offensive coordinator. Yeah. It's remarkable. And played there too, didn't you? Correct. Yeah. So I actually went to South Fayette High School and played football. My whole family, we've gone through South Fayette. And then my older brother actually went to Grove City College. And so when I was going through the decision process, you know, I just really loved the people that I got to meet through him. So I went to Grove City College as well. That's where I met my wife. So it's been a neat experience for me to get to serve at my high school alma mater. So I was coaching there in 2013 and 2014 and was blessed to just be a part of an amazing staff and 
you know, we had a two years there of an amazing run to a couple state championships, which then opened up the opportunity to go back to my college alma mater and uh, to get right. to serve at both of those. It's really neat. So in coaching lingo, you are what is called a hot coach, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is an oxymoron at Grove City since uh, they had a pretty, uh, I hope no one takes offense at this, but well, I was going to use the word pathetic, but they were not well uh, regarded for a long, long time. You've come along and changed the program. What do you like about football? <laughs> you know, I really love the competitive nature of the game. I mean, that's number one, playing sports growing up, played football, baseball, basketball. I mean, so all sports, very competitive. You know, with football, it is a very aggressive sport. It's a physical sport. And that's something mm -hmm. I always loved. I was the youngest of three boys. So all I ever did was get beat up on growing up. So I was the, they, they put me as the running back and they would get on their knees and just tell me to run full speed to the couch just so they could tackle me there. Growing up with that, you know, I just always loved the physical nature of the game of football. And then I played quarterback, which you don't get too much of the physical nature of that. <laughs> but, uh, but I think the lessons you learn from that, you know, how you can apply that to life, but most importantly to your walk with the Lord, Really, the, the physical nature of the game is what gravitated me to, to that sport specifically. According to what I've read, it's a philosophy that you've espoused, which you call brick by brick. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering if you could explain for <laughs> yeah, listeners absolutely. what so, brick by brick is about. August 13th, 2016 was my first meeting as head football coach. And you think about that. So here I am, a young first-time head coach, and I walk into our meeting room, and it's between players and coaches, over 100 individuals in there. And I was standing in front of a team that had not won a game in three years. <laughs> so what do you say? I mean, wow. what do you say in that moment? You could use the famous line Ali Sherman used as the football <laughs> coach of the New York Giants. Men, this is a football. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. We're starting with first principles. <laughs> you know, and it's neat you know, to get the play in the program. And my brother, I know how much the program had meant to us and so many of the alumni. And so really was excited to go back there. And it was amazing. While I was at South Fayette, we had a, a guy come speak to our football team. And he had talked about the Green Bay Packers when they beat the Steelers back at Super Bowl 45. And he had talked about the Alabama Crimson Tide. They had just come off a national title in 2011. And he talked about how each of those teams were built off three principles, vision, process, and love. So here I am, I'm a young coach, and I'm hearing about these championship football teams are built off mm -hmm. vision, process, and love. Now for me, I love reading and I read two things, the Bible and anything on leadership. <laughs> so here I am, a young coach, I hear these great football teams are built off vision, process, and love, and I'm reading Disney's biography, I'm reading Sam Walton's biography, and I'm seeing these same three principles of having a clear vision, having a plan or a process to achieve that vision, and having the right people around you. And then what really excites me is, is I'm in 1 Samuel 17, and I see vision, process, and love in the life of Daniel. I read Exodus and, and see it in the life of Moses, leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt. So on August 13th, 2016, when I stood in front of that team, I knew I had to talk about three things. And really, the, the first words out of my mouth were, to glorify God in the pursuit of earning a degree, building lasting relationships, and competing for PAC championships. I actually repeated that phrase five times. I ran up uh, the stairs, shouted it again, I, because when you haven't won a game in a couple years, you're lost. And what I told those guys is we need to focus on our vision, not our circumstance. The circumstance is rough, 
but our vision is, and then I repeated that statement again. And then here's where brick by brick comes into play. If you've ever been on the campus of Grove City College, it's all brick. <laughs> There's bricks everywhere. And what I told those guys in the first meeting is when you're building one of these massive structures, it starts with a blueprint. And blueprint to us represents vision. So when we say brick by brick, the first thing we mean is we have a blueprint, we have a vision. Secondly, they were built one brick at a time. There's no shortcuts. You've got to lay a brick and another and another. And we told them that represents process. The bricks represent process. And we told them, see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. If you look at everything you got to do to go from being in last place to get the first, you're going to get overwhelmed. Just see a little, lay one brick at a time. And then third, with brick by brick, what holds those bricks together is mortar. Mortar represents love. So when we say brick by brick, blueprint bricks, mortar, we're saying vision, process, love. So to answer your question, the brick by brick philosophy, uh, I learned from people way smarter than me. <laughs> and the way we explain them for our guys at Grove City College is through the phrase brick by brick. That's great. So you've, I'm sure, have talked around it already, but can you be very specific and share with us what your vision is and what your process is and what your love is and all Absolutely. of this? Absolutely. So our vision is yeah. to glorify God in the pursuit of earning a degree, building lasting relationships, and competing for PAC championships. In Mark 12, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? In Mark's gospel, he responds with, love the Lord your God, and it's recorded with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We define that as whole person development. So in our vision then, we cover spiritual, to glorify God, social, build lasting relationships, mental, earn a degree, and then the physical to compete for PAC championships. So that's our vision, it's that statement. The key there is the words, in the pursuit of. No football team's going out there planning to lose, right? They're, they're all planning of what they gotta do to put their team in the best position to be successful and win. You're going to college to earn a degree. <laughs> and we say the phrase 440 forever. Football will last you four years. Your degree's gonna last you 40. Uh, socially, build lasting relationships. You know, in, in my wedding, which I got married on the campus of Grove City College, five of the guys who stood next to me played football at Grove City. <laughs> so that's what we want is those mm. relationships. But for our program, our vision, the key is how do you pursue those three things? Well, we want to pursue them in a way that's glorifying to God. I mean, Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. And then we tell our guys, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, which includes play football, do all to the glory of God. So when we say we're going to pursue championships a degree, we want to do it in such a way where we don't get our fulfillment from those things. You know, John 15, 11, these words I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, your joy may be full. When we say to glorify God, we, what we want you to do, guys, is not derive your fulfillment from football, bring it to football. You're a football player, you're going to pursue a championship. But when we say to glorify God in that pursuit, we want you to get your fulfillment, get your joy, get your satisfaction from him. And then as John 15, 5 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's our vision. And then the process, we have actually a brick by brick plan for each of those four areas, a process that we set in place. Uh, you know, so for example, the, if the vision's to compete for championships, 
in that area, the process is master your art of alignment, assignment, read technique, that's football lingo, and then love. Biblically, we define love for our guys as love is the overflow of satisfaction in God that bears fruit for others at any cost to ourself. And then for the football standpoint, we use philos love, which is that friendship type bond, that common bond. And we define that for our guys. That's why we use four second phrases, which I've used a couple already because we have the same language. So our vision is the statement I shared. We have a process for each and then love. We use a biblical definition of love and a philos love that we constantly want to reinforce for our young men. Hmm. Obviously it's had uh, tangible results. You know, you have more victories than losses, but among the men, the young men that you're leading, do you see the fruit of what you've been preaching? Yeah, it's been pretty neat. Actually, I just, our running back was actually a first team All-American this year, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. He just sent me a message as, as he's studying vision and was asking me questions and actually just had one of our receivers send me an email. One of our phrases is discipline equals freedom. And we talked about that in regards to the spiritual disciplines. We also talk it with football. He was asking me about that. So it's been amazing. We talk about satisfaction in Christ. That's what we say to glorify God in playing football. We want to challenge our guys and look at it as get your satisfaction from Christ and not football. And those conversations have been amazing. You know, the other thing I'd point to is the first Sunday of camp every year, we share the gospel. You know, I take 45 minutes and we share it and we give guys a chance to respond to that. And even at a Christian school, you'd be amazed. You know, we get guys who come to Grove City because they want that Christian atmosphere. But we have some who just want a good engineering degree and play football. And each year we have guys who come down to accept Christ into their lives. You know, it's been a blessing to see the way the Lord has worked through the program. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself as having an evangelistic field as the coach? Because I played high school football. I didn't play in college, but I went to Geneva College and... We'll, we'll uh, look past that. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look past that quickly. No, great uh, school. I knew some of the football players there and the coach. And, you know, coaches are recruiting players, and good players are not always Christian. I knew the population of the students there or the, the uh, players from the team, and, you know, maybe 50% of them had come there with a faith. Yeah. As you said, the rest were looking for a degree and uh, wanted to play football. So I'm assuming you have, with regularity, a field that you can minister to and into. It sounds like you're seeing harvest in that field. Is that part of your mission or and your vision of what you're doing as a as a football yeah, coach? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's neat you mentioned Geneva. Gino DeMarco is a great friend, their head coach. It's neat to have other brothers in the Lord. Yeah, Italian That's football it. coaches here That's in, in Christian schools. And we're schools. both pastors' kids too, so we, we have that common bond. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's neat. You know, we do have guys from all different backgrounds. You know, in our end of season meetings, I, you know, I could have a guy ask me a question, wanting to unpack the the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and the next wants to know why in a class that why God would harden Pharaoh's heart because he had just really heard that story, you know, heard that described for the first time. I mean, you guys who, coach, I've never heard this before. Coach, I want to really unpack this. And what we want for our guys is to see that the way we glorify God is like Paul says in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He's my satisfaction. Uh, it's only mm-hmm. in him that I find fullness of joy. So no matter where you're at on that walk, if 
you know, you want to accept him for the first time. You've been walking with him. You've been in the word every day for 10 years. Let's just talk about finding your satisfaction in Christ in that. Right. You want to start reading it for the first time. And I'll just say this. I mentioned it. So my, my dad's a, in ministry. He's actually the chaplain at the Meadows Horse Racetrack in Washington County there. And my, <laughs> my brother's the associate pastor at the Bible Chapel in McMurray, PA. So my family... They're, they're, they're all pastors. That, that was going to be a plan, you know, and God showed me that my ministry was going to be through football. Watching them evangelize, disciple, having them has been amazing to, to look at how we do that through a football program. Yeah. Just when you were talking there a minute, I was thinking of the famous story about Eric Little, <laughs> which I know is one of Nate's favorites. Yes. And it is mine, too, from Chariots of Fire, where he talks about the Lord made him fast. <laughs> And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah. I was curious, is there a new model of coach? I mean, I haven't played football in a long time or been on the inside of a locker room for a long time, but I remember when I was in high school playing, there wasn't a clear articulation of what you laid out here at the beginning with a vision and a process and a love. Maybe it's the nature of high school football, but we spent a lot of time on knowing the playbook, your assignments, patterns, things like that. There wasn't the inspirational side of coaching as much as it was the mechanical side, not so much with casting a vision for the players. Is that something that you have to do to be a successful coach now because that's just where coaching is gone? Or has that always been there, but not always as well articulated by other coaches? To answer that, I, I would say it, it's always been there in that everything we have here, I learned from people who had done it a very, very long time. I heard a story of a guy who was at a football coach's clinic. He was uh, 22 years old. A guy told me the story and he sat there in, in the front row and was sitting there thinking, oh, I can't take anything from this, what this guy's talking about. And he was getting ready to leave. And the guy behind him, he said was the winningest coach in that area, and he had four pages worth of notes. And I remember hearing this story of a 22-year-old coach who thought he couldn't take anything from a talk, and the guy behind him had four pages worth of notes, and he was one of the winningest coaches. So I always challenge our guys, whenever you're in class, you want to take more from that than anybody else in the room. When you go to church on Sunday, you want to take more from that than anybody else in the room. That should be your, your motive. That had major impact on me from when I first started in coaching. And I learned this from people who are way more successful, who have been doing it for years. There's so many great resources now of how to articulate that. You know, I think about Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They have a three-dimensional coaching model where they teach you to not just coach the fundamental or the physical elements, but coach the heart and the mind. So when you have somebody who fumbles a football and it's a confidence issue, well, don't use a physical remedy of, you know, go run until I tell you to stop because that's a physical solution to a mental problem. Let's address that mental issue of confidence with a mental solution. So I do say, at least for me coming into the profession, there were so many amazing resources for me to study and have people share that I was yeah. just able to say, okay, let's just put this together. But I will say well, what has changed certainly is probably the landscape of football. There's so many different things involved now that has changed. But uh, I think the overall picture you know, has always been there, but the resources available to us now are amazing. That's for sure. That's a good question, Nate. Well, I played high school football late 60s, early 70s. You know, I'm a little more dated than you guys. <laughs> I think there's more study to mm -hmm. the idea of successful coaching now. Yeah. You know, you look at books like Mike Krzyzewski yep. in basketball, you look at the whole Belichick, Saban model. There's a lot more thought engaged in what constitutes 
successful coaching and paradigms that extend from the sports sphere to the business sphere to the gospel sphere. I don't know why that is. There's probably just a lot more conceptual thought power applied to how to get good and how to succeed and how to win. Yeah. Yeah. How old are you, by the way? You look pretty young. Yeah, I'm 32 years old. (laughs) That's young to have a lot of responsibility. I mean, you do have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. How many kids are on the football team each year? Yes, we have over 100. 100, wow. So So you were 27 when you got the position. Yeah, so as named the head coach and waiting 27, and very blessed to have that opportunity at at a very young age. Is that considered a pretty young appointment? Yeah, I think I was the youngest coach in uh, college football at that time. So, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah it's, yeah, it's why, again, going back to that first meeting was just to have a plan going into that first meeting. Yeah, and they say that Mike Tomlin, who was the youngest professional head coach in football at the time the Steelers hired him, the story goes that the Steelers were interviewing him because of the Rooney Rule, you know, the Rooney Rule. In- yeah insisting you had to have a a minority representation for the interview. And he came in so well prepared for that interview. You talk about the importance of preparation. He had essentially laid out a plan of what he would do day one, day two, week one, week two, month one, month two, year one, year two, in perpetuity, that he so wowed them in that interview. I've been told that by some Steelers people who were in the meeting. Wow that they just said, hands down, he won the job. Pat Williams, he founded the Orlando Magic. He wrote a lot of books yeah. on leadership. And I was a senior in high school. There was the Washington County Prayer Breakfast, and he was the keynote speaker, and I was a senior. And one of the things he shared was, view yourself as a leader, prepare to be a leader, so that when a leadership opportunity comes, you can take it. He had three main points. So I remember in that meeting, I wrote down to always have a plan ready. And it was back in 2011 or 2012 where Vision Process Love, I started organizing that if I would ever have a head coaching opportunities. So, you know, as a 27-year-old, 28-year-old taking over this pretty important responsibility, where was that born from? I mean, what talk about your faith and what preceded that. Yeah, I'd mentioned my dad's a pastor, really a unique ministry. He's been the uh, chaplain at the Meadows Racetrack since the early 90s. So we grew up going to the horse racetrack. They had a chapel right there in the middle uh, right in between all the barns. And so it's pretty neat. And growing up in that way, we never left the house without praying together as a family. We were in the Word, all five of us, at night before we went to bed. So I grew up in that. For me, when I went to Grove City College, it was a there was one moment that stands out. My freshman year, we were coming home from a bus ride. And some of my good friends at Grove City, that they're very strong believers. You know, we were, we were just talking and, and I realized a lot of what I believed in the Word, I had no clue where it was in the Word. <laughs> I just knew that maybe Dad preached on it, but I couldn't for myself know where one thing was that I was talking about. I remember going back into my room and, and saying, you know what, Lord, anything I believe about you, I want to know where in your Word it says that. <laughs> And that really just started my freshman year of college of me digging in the Word for myself and just wanting to memorize Scripture, meditate on Scripture, and really where my faith became my own. And and I'll say this, even though we were at a Meadows racetrack, my dad really grew out of a Pentecostal background. We were part of a church, Central Assembly of God, right there in Houston, PA. 
And then I went to Grove City and a lot of my closest friends came from a reformed Presbyterian background. Being in that just amazing brothers in the Lord, you know, that I grew up with and then also that now I'm meeting in college really is where I just saw that from even these different denominations, there's amazing men who know that they exist to glorify the Lord, not themselves or created for his glory, that they're created to find their satisfaction in Christ and let that overflow and bear fruit for others. That was a common thing, even coming from different denominational backgrounds of people that I met at Grove City and those that I grew up with here in the, the South Hills of Pittsburgh and in Washington County. And all of that led to loving God's word, loving his truth, and vision process love for my spiritual walk of the vision of glorifying God, the process of finding your satisfaction in him, and then let that overflow into love. And that's really what, what shaped all of that. Mm-hmm. I was having a doctor's visit a couple months ago and uh, was talking to the nurse. It was down in Peters Township. She asked me what I did for a living. I told her I was a pastor. And so I started chatting with her about where she went to church. And she told me that she went to the chapel at the Meadows Racetrack. And I went, I didn't even <laughs> <laughs> never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Uh, but she mentioned your father. I didn't know him and didn't know that that um, that he had a son who coached at Grove City. But she spoke with incredibly warm affection for your dad and how much um, hmm. she uh, loved that loved the chapel and loved your dad hmm. particular in particular in terms of the ministry that he's offered there. He, she had gone there for a number of years and. Um, just had the the warmest and most glowing things to say about your father. Uh, mm. So that was, that was pretty neat. And that was that was just by happenstance yeah. that mm. that happened. Wow. Yeah. No, it's a blessing <laughs> to hear that. And uh, yeah, just yeah. amazing to see the impact on a horse racetrack, you know, the impact yeah. that he was able to have. It just had a huge impact on my life. So the, the church is not just bricks and mortar. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, though it may be on four legs. Yeah. <laughs> How did your dad become a, what, minister at a racetrack? At a horse that, racetrack. That sounds bizarre. Nope, it sounds counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you need need God when you lose. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> need him when you win, too. But It's amazing. So so right there in Houston, PA, he was serving at Central Assembly of God. And uh, really, just a mile down the road is the Meadows Racetrack. There's actually a national chaplains program for all racetracks across the country. So Racetrack Chaplaincy huh. for America. They had somebody who left. So they had a need at the Meadows. And they asked Central if somebody could come over just on a part-time basis and, and fill a need. So my dad went over and, and he was just going there to fill a need for a few months. A few months turned into over 25 years now. <laughs> wow. There's over wow. 500 families that were associated between training the horses and driving and all of this. And he saw the need there, felt called and really felt led to go there full time. And is he still is he still doing that? Yeah, he's still the chaplain there at the Meadows Racetrack. Yep. Wow. So is that a rotating congregation? Is it, or is there some consistency in terms of the population? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a mixture of both. There, there are some who have been at the track and have stayed at the track, you know, a very long time. And there is a lot of the of trainers, drivers who who are going to come in for a little bit of time and move on to another part of the country. So. 
in, in some instances, there's a few that's been you know there for many years. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of people coming and going. So it is really just a little bit of a mix there. The element of consistency and the element of turnover, has that helped you in your preparation as a coach? Because you've got the same thing. You've got an element of consistency, but then you got freshman class coming in and folks who are graduating out and how you manage you want to have a consistent program, consistently winning, mm-hmm. but every four years you got a new team. <laughs> yeah. Did growing up in that experience prepare you for your work as a, uh, as yeah, a coach? Yeah, it's an, another neat question because I just had my first class that we recruited graduate virtually, not <laughs> in person, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, working with them, it's just amazing how the Lord has worked through this whole time. But this will be my first class that uh, we recruited that played four years under our brick by brick philosophy and graduated. And it's amazing because my first meeting, I mentioned we hadn't won a game in three years. That was the last class to experience an 0-10 season. You know, when I come into camp this August, there's nobody left that would have went through that, which is why I go back to vision process love is, you know, Wesley Schools, who just graduated. Yeah, Wesley Schools, he was a first-team All-American. I want him in 15 years to be able to describe what, what he learned in our program the same way as an incoming freshman. And... In order to do that, we just have to have a very clear vision, process, and love. And not even that, just from the football standpoint. How do you replicate some of the success we had offensively? Well, there's mm-hmm. got to be more than just plays. There's got to be a whole plan, a whole vision behind it that then we can articulate to this new class because we lost a lot of starters from last year. And I really learned that, going back to your question from my dad, of just being really built on some very core principles that anybody who can come in knows uh, what it's like to build brick by brick. And you think about that family and and such a transient thing of playing four years of football and leaving, whether you played in 2016, which, you know, that first class I had, I saw one of our players message me and said, brick by brick and be where your feet are, which is one of our four second phrases. Well, that's the same thing an incoming freshman in 2020 is going to hear. So having that vision process love, which which I did learn from my dad, you know, allows to build a family in an area where you're never going to be in one place more than four years. And that's what it's provided mm-hmm. for us. Hmm. I would think that would be even more important in a Division three program because, you know, for most people who are playing at Division three, the chances that you're going to continue in football are pretty slim. It happens, but it's very, very slim compared to Division One. So does it make sense to you that you have to be not just vision and process, but also the love component yeah. where there really is something that's coming out of this for the future? Yeah, that's really great because we've had over 125 years of football and have had one player go to the NFL. So, one. Yeah, one, one in over 125 years. So mm-hmm. uh, which to your point, which is a great one, why we keep it as some general principles that they can apply across any field. And instead of just learning how to run inside zone as a running back, we want Wes to learn how to have a clear vision for your life, have a plan to to work towards that vision and do it in unity with others. Because that, you can take four years of football and apply it to your career. And most importantly, you can apply it to your faith and And because of that, how much time we spend on football over four years, we want to redeem that time and use it in a way that will impact them for the next 40 and forever. And and that's how we have a plan to do that. We talk about love. And one of the things we say is each of us needs all of us. You know, the importance of everybody speaking the same language and 
And it's really neat when you have players who are really bought in and they're able to articulate vision process, love brick by brick. You mentioned your dad was a preacher. He was at the uh, at the racetrack. That must have prompted unusual conversations in the home. It had to have <laughs> because it it seems like a unique situation. It's It's not your typical pastoral setting. Do you recall anything like that? I mean, was it was it kind of you know how was your day at the track dad <laughs> somebody lost a hundred thousand bucks and he was really forlorn yeah <laughs> or horse broke a leg and had to be put down or i i mean i don't know but any recollections of that yeah you know i think one, one of the biggest thing is just seeing all the you know hospital visits nursing homes all of those things I'd, I'd go on those with him but but then as you mentioned some of the the needs i mean there were so many needs why were there hospital visits uh, just how many families there that you know had a loved one and uh you know they they saw the chapel as their home church and and Obviously, the older population or, or parents okay. uh, that, that he would go and I would go on those with him. That side of it wasn't very unique, very similar. Did he have regular services? Yeah, every Sunday. Yep. So regular church every service. Sunday. Yep. You know, and there was a constant, you know, population there. But yeah, as you mentioned, you know, growing up, a lot of the needs that would arise and people need different things for different reasons, whether it be financial related or addiction related or whatever it might be, just seeing how my dad was always available, whether it's jumping on the phone at, at midnight to talk to someone or driving somewhere. It's It was just amazing. And I, I think a lot of those conversations just really catered toward meeting the needs of people where they're at. And, uh, and he did that very practically. And, and to me, those needs weren't uncommon just because I grew up with that. I was, I think, five years old when he started that ministry. But looking back on it, yeah, I mean, probably some of those things and needs he was meeting weren't very common, I guess, in regards to what another pastor's kid might have grown up with. I don't know. But to me, it wasn't uncommon at all. It just was my dad meeting the needs of his people, which you know, to me would be no different than anybody, any other minister. So, And do you think that's analogous to what you do as a football coach? Yeah, you know, we have guys come in and there's different needs, there's different things they struggle with. And that's why we always come back to vision, process, love, glorify God, whatever your need is. The only mm-hmm. thing that can solve that is, is you turning to him, finding your satisfaction in him, and then that'll overflow to, to affect this area that you're dealing with. And the circumstances are always different for everybody. But uh, if you have a vision, you have a clear process, and that can overflow into love, You give there's an opportunity there to, to talk to anybody where they're at to talk about the need they're dealing with. And I think that upbringing had a huge impact on me staying, staying in those three areas and always communicating mm-hmm. those. In the time of this recording, we're pretty much in the, the white-hot heat of the coronavirus I'm curious to get your thoughts as someone who represents a college and what are schools doing and how are they managing this whole situation? And then more broadly speaking, you're somebody who's with regularity having to overcome adversity. That's the nature <laughs> of football. How has your life as a coach informed you to overcome this kind of adversity? You know, I just come back to you know, one of the things we talk about along with focus on your vision, not your circumstances, live in the why, not the what. Something we shared back in August 13, 2016, live in the why, not the what. What you're doing is lifting weights. Why you're doing it is to compete for PAC championships. So getting through this time with our players, it has been reminding them to live in the why, not the what. 
you know, for our seniors and, and your heart aches for them. I mean, being present for graduation and, you know, it is hard. And I've been really impressed with our guys is how they've, a couple of them have used that phrase, live in the why, not the what. You know, what is happening is I'm online and I'm not able to have a physical graduation. But remembering why I'm going through this is to earn that degree from a really respected institution. A lot of uncertainty in this time. There's been a lot of changes, a lot of people having to adapt. So how would you translate that, Andrew, outside of football? How do you coach your family or how do you coach people in your church or people that you're connected with using that framework and managing this situation that they're facing? What's the why for them in all of this? Yeah, and that's going back to the first three words of our vision, to glorify God. And my wife and I were just talking about this too. Why we exist, all people, we exist, as Isaiah 43 tells us, as we're created for His glory why we exist is to glorify him. And so when I think about that phrase, live in the why, not the what, just for general life, there's so many uncertainty in the what's right now for everybody. It may come in different forms, but everybody, there's a what that is changing. And that's the amazing thing of faith in Jesus Christ, is when you know why you exist to glorify him, you know, in First Peter 1, talks about rejoicing through trials to the praise of his glory. We see that in James, consider it joy when you face trials. And when you know your why is to make much of him, you know, when we're going through challenges, as Paul said, I've learned the secret in Philippians 4 of being content in any and every situation. You know, you really could look at this as an opportunity. You have an opportunity, like Paul in Philippians 4, to be able to say, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether to be wealthy fed or hungry, abundance or need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when I think about outside of football, that's the reason why, you know, as we tell our players, you need a why. You know, when football is over 20 years from now, you need a why. And our prayer is that you understand your why for existing is to make much of him. And one of the ways you do that we see in scripture is to show that no matter what is going on in the what, that you have joy and satisfaction through it, like Paul in Philippians 4, for example. That's what I would say to anybody even outside of football is is the importance of having that why. Did you have a personal life experience, Andrew, where that why became very palpably clear? I mean, the impression one has is, you know, you're the youngest football coach in, in the history of Grove City College and the youngest, you say, in college football. So you've been on a fast track. And usually with fast trackers, there's the impression that things came relatively easy. You've had a lot of success in your life. And it seems almost as if kind of a Midas touch, everything you've touched has gone golden. Is there any experience in your life where where the why became more palpably clear? Yeah, and it was the 2016 football season. And my wife and I, so she was working in downtown Pittsburgh for six years. She was an accounting major. I was working and uh, coaching high school football. And uh, we both leave to come up to Grove City College. Our daughter was just born. In my first season as head football coach, we go 0-10. (laughs) So we lose everything. We come to Grove City. I'd come off a, a couple state championship teams. In my first season as head football coach, you go winless. And if anybody knows the football or the coaching world that, uh, you know, it's, it's not a long lifespan if, you know, if you're not winning football games. That 0-10 season, you know, my wife and I was talking, if you'd ask her, she said that was, in her mind, one of the most amazing years for us, you know, in really understanding who we are and, and, and the plan we have for the program. But most importantly, in our walk is there was a lot there, you know, a daughter being born, you move your family, your wife leaves her job, you leave yours, you come to this place and you go 0-10. So now you're a young head football coach who just went 0-10. So you can imagine 
you know, obviously there's a lot of thoughts there of, of what's going on here. And it was, it was a, it was a challenging year. You know, really learning that Philippians four joy in any circumstance. Well, just when we literally the season before we won every game and here I am coaching and we won none. Talk about the ultimate extremes. And I remember looking into our players' eyes and here's where I knew that we had something special and in talking about vision. I had a senior in the front row. This was a team meeting late in the year. We hadn't won a game all year. You know, it was obvious that we were you know, most likely not going to win a game that year. And I had a senior in the front row. And I looked at him and I said, why are you going to practice tomorrow? And he looked at me and he said, to compete for PAC championships, coach. And my eyes welled up. I mean, here's a senior who's never won a game in three years, has a few games left. We're, we're obviously going to finish last. <laughs> and he says why he's going to practice tomorrow is to compete for PAC championships, meaning to do everything he can so that, mm -hmm. you know, our guys coming in this year, we're, we're 16 and two in our last 18 games. And that's why he was going to practice in 2016. So these freshmen can walk into a program that's what back-to-back -back bowl games, 16 and two in our last 18. So yeah, that 2016 season, and really what that those seniors, the impact they had and the belief of what they helped me even just, just see the power of that vision uh that season was a very trying time but but the turning point as far as really knowing that that vision process and love is the way to go for us what was his name brett pinson you stay in yeah, touch with him yeah we stay in touch so he he's working uh in sales uh, lives in ohio we, he actually last spring we were going to do it again this spring but obviously but last spring he came through we we sat down we got dinner together when when he was coming through this area mm -hmm. you know it was neat he was talking about using some of those phrases now in the in the world of business and it was a neat blessing and uh but yeah he was one of our senior leaders that year and, and i remember when he said that in the team meeting the impact that had on those freshmen in the back and it's pretty mm -hmm. neat to see what he's doing now so you went 0 and 10 your first year that's a lot of losses yep. I'm assuming there's also a lot of lessons in all that. What were some of the lessons that you gleaned out of a season like that? And then what have you won through your consistent winning? Yeah, I think the biggest thing we learned was, you know, the need to, you know, we talk about discipline equals freedom. We not only have a vision for the program, but we needed an offensive, defensive, and special teams vision. And to do that, you got to look at, well, what can you be best at? What are you passionate about? What drives your economic engine? What has led to wins? That's a lot of Jim Collins' Good to Great, a book that's had a big impact on me. But we didn't have any success to go off of. And you know, here we finished 2016 and still don't have that. And we needed to get an identity on offense, an identity on defense, an identity on special teams. But what we learned through that, even in the losses, times where we played well, we learned, hey, we could do this well, we could do that well. And then the 2017 season, we went four and four in the conference. So now we had a pretty clear picture of, hey, this is who we need to be in offense, defense, special teams. And it was late September 2018, for example, that we finalized our offensive vision, that we finally said, we know based off the facts, off the data, off everything, Here's who we need to be offensively. And it's amazing. Since that meeting, we've gone 16 and two. And there's a lot of things to it. And obviously our defense had a, has a vision that became clear a little bit later that year. And then special teams, you have to learn what can you do well and be disciplined, we feel, to only do that. That's what those first couple years did for us. And it's amazing because at South Fayette, the offense I ran coordinating there looks completely opposite to what we do at Grove City. But what we could be best at in the Whippeal and high school football at South Fayette High School 
is not what we could be best at at Grove City College in Division III President's Athletic Conference play. So fortunately, in those losing seasons, we learned what we could be the best at. We committed to that. We learned we had to stay disciplined to that because the second we get cute, we're going to go back to losing football games. And as our guys bought into that, it's been amazing the turnaround we've been able to have. What are you best at? Is that a trade secret? Or uh, so we, uh, we we finished first in the conference this year in total offense. Uh, our running back finished first in scoring, first in rushing touchdowns. And then our quarterback actually finished first in the country in pass yards per completion. So we had number one total offense, number one scoring offense in our conference. But in the country, which is almost 250 teams, we had a running back who in a certain statistic finished first in the country and a quarterback, not in passing yards, but throwing the ball down the field, finished first in pass yards per completion. So South Fayette, we threw every play. (laughs) Grove City, we run the ball to set up the the vertical pass down the field. And uh, we've just committed to that. And that's what it's been neat to see that we said we felt we could become the best in it. And, and to finish first in those statistics this year was uh, great confidence for our guys that it was working. You said, Andrew, that you were raised in the chapel there at yeah. the racetrack, but your tradition is one of the assemblies. Yeah. Having grown up in the Pentecostal tradition, I'm familiar with that. And then you went to Grove City College and you're coming into the world of Westminster and Reformed Presbyterianism and things like that, and hearing in your vision for this program the idea of glorifying God, which is very reminiscent of Westminster 1, Catechism, question 1. Has that been a smooth amalgamation of those two traditions, or has that been a a challenging thing, or are you still in process with all that? Yeah, no, it's been amazing. What does that look like? Yeah, and and that's really, all my life, I've just been involved with many different denominations, just as, like even on our team, I mean, every denomination is is represented on our our football team in a lot of ways, and then obviously growing up, here I am in college, going home, and and, and a lot of Pentecostal background, and in Grove City, I had friends of all different denominations, but I mentioned two of my closest had come from a reform background. But it was amazing that men who had just such an impact on my just journey with the Lord, it all came back to salvation, you know, sanctification, leading to satisfaction in Christ to glorify His name. If I was in college going to church, maybe I'd go to a sermon that had maybe a lesson more on grace and sovereignty, and then you know I'd go home and you know, I remember growing up, messages maybe on signs and gifts. And but but the thing that always was very consistent. That, that always struck me is these amazing men who are having such an impact on teaching scripture and, and showing me is this common salvation growing up in, in your walk with the Lord through, through finding your satisfaction in him and ultimately wanting to bring glory, glory to the Lord's name. And, uh, you know, that's what struck me. And that's why, you know, our mission has been consistently as we have guys on our team from all different denominations at Grove City uh, of that consistent message of glorifying God, finding your satisfaction in Him and letting that overflow and bearing fruit and proclaiming the good news. It's really neat how, how all these different experiences have had a great impact on sharing it in that way with, with our young men. Has there been a particular passage of scripture that you've been leaning into during this time of unknown and uncertainty? I mean, your entire life has been dedicated to training and preparing young men for a football season, which may not happen. Yeah, no, that's a great question. The scripture I've really been leaning into is Philippians 1, 20 and 21, which says, where Paul says, it is my eager expectation and hope that Christ would be honored in my body whether by life or by death, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And just that reminder that 
you know, if I, I think about the most precious things in my life, you know, my wife, my, my two beautiful children, the football program, if I died right now and lost all those things, can I say gain? Because <laughs> I'm standing before my savior and Lord and treasure, can I say gain? And then can I live that way? Can I live as if my attachment is not to these things, but my attachments to him and I overflow and bear fruit for my wife, my kids, the football program. And uh, when I think about that scripture, it's that reminder that uh, at any moment, any of these things could be lost. Ultimately, when you have a walk with the Lord, you can say death is gain. And then you can think about and see that, hey, I'm called to live that way. You know, as Paul says later on in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. So if we lose the football season, whatever gain I had, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. And uh, that Philippians 1, 20 and 21 has been just a passage really leaning into over these last couple of weeks. What's uh, recruitment been like with uh, COVID? How, how are you doing that? Yeah, right? so obviously planning to do a lot of our, our stuff virtually. So our timeline where it hit, we, we've really the last couple of months been closing on our our incoming seniors in high school, going to be incoming freshmen in the fall. So they've already been on campus and gone through all the tour been with us in person, but a little bit challenging now because the summer is huge for us. We get a lot of guys, especially out of state, coming to visit campus over the summer. So right now we've been setting up virtual visits. It's been, uh, it, that certainly has been different, and uh, but we're, we're lo- trying to make the most of it, trying to get that as much as a, of a similar experience through an online format. Hmm. Well, how do you evaluate a player if you can't see them you know, running and, uh, and I, I guess you just study film or yeah. what's the process? Yeah, fortunately with technology now, every young man we recruit has a really in-depth highlight film that we have easy access to. So uh, not seeing them in person to evaluate from the football standpoint isn't as much of an issue because we, we do have so many resources in which we can evaluate them. Uh, but the biggest thing is being with them in person and, and spending that time and, and because there are so many great schools out there that is Grove City the right place for you to be considering? And that's mm-hmm. really the area that, that, we're, that, which is we're so thankful for something like Zoom where we can see them face to face, ask them those questions, see their facial reactions. Uh, it, it's the next best thing, but the football side, we're not as concerned about, but the in-person trying to see if Grove City really is a, really a great option for you or not. You know, that's the area we're trying to maximize as much as we can in a different format. At this point in your recruitment process, do you have the number of commitments that you normally would or are you behind or what? Yeah, we've uh, our fifth straight year hit exactly where we wanted to be. And uh, so really didn't affect that at all. Everything happened the way it would have been. Now, for us, it's a little bit maybe different. Not every school recruits the same, but most of our guys are done visiting by January because we have an application deadline of January 20th, which is a lot earlier than others. So it really didn't affect us as much because most of our guys, they had already been on campus and done their visits. So Uh, as the head football coach, do you have any teaching responsibilities or are you exclusively the football coach? Yeah, I uh, was one of the last hires that, that was hired as faculty and and staff. So I teach in the exercise science department and okay. uh, undergrad in business, went got my master's in exercise science. And uh, so I still teach 
so I have a final to give tomorrow. And uh, oh wow! And, but uh, my teaching <laughs> load is is very minimal, and uh, they they've worked that out well. And, and right now, just teaching in the spring, but I do teach as part of the exercise science department. Yeah. Okay. So that's a full plate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you offer a final in exercise science over Zoom? How does that work? <laughs> you definitely have you get more uh, situational type questions, you know, because yeah. you know want to make sure they understand the material, and uh, so uh, definitely have had to spend quite a bit of time reorganizing my uh, my final mm. that I've used in the past. That's for sure. Mm. You sure are an exciting guy. If I were 45 years younger, I'd be ready to suit up and get out there for you, Andrew. And uh, I also noticed that you have a, an R, a wristband. Do you ask all your players brick by brick to put that oh, on? Oh, uh, we don't tell them to, but, but most do. So we uh, we want this always before them. So we put this on their wrists and most of them walk by, walk around with their brick by brick wristband. Hmm. You get McNulty to We've wear We've given one? him one, you know, and he uh, <laughs> he has that, that's for sure. And I've seen him wear it. That He's come and talked to our team and we've seen him have it on. I know he's excited about your team. <laughs> uh, I met him last summer and he had mentioned you specifically as a person we should interview. So. Oh, that's a blessing. He, he's amazing. Amazing man leading our institution that's for sure. He is. I agree with that. So what are your ambitions long term? You're a young guy uh, and you've had a lot of success. Do you have an ambition to coach at a level beyond Division Three, or is that not appropriate to talk about? <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> we can edit that out later if, uh, if you need to. No, I, uh, you know, it's been neat. I, I'm the fourth head coach at Grove City College since I think 1956 is uh, the fourth coach since then. So really just been an amazing school with longevity. Uh, the man I played for, who, who I love dearly, Coach Smith, was here 32 years as head football coach. So if the Lord would will that I follow in that footsteps and if everything worked out that Grove City, that I'm able to stay here a long time, it would be such an amazing honor. I mean, my wife and I went here. My wife grew up in Butler. My in-laws and, and everybody, they're, they're not too far, just a few exits down the road on 79. So for my family and I, it's been a major blessing. And, and we'd love to carry on that longevity at Grove City. You know, but I will say, you know, this is full-time ministry to, to my wife and I, and she's actively involved on campus. And, you know, wherever the Lord would lead, wherever he send us, we certainly will go. And, uh, you know, obviously if that's at Grove City, it'd be great. Uh, but wherever he goes, you know, to be able to glorify him through the game of football or any field, uh, you know, we would be willing to go wherever he would lead. What's your wife's involvement? So she's she was in accounting. She worked went through Grove City for accounting, got her CPA, yeah. worked downtown. So she does some accounting work in the area. And uh, she really leads some women's Bible studies for the girls as a mentor on campus. So for example, tomorrow night, she, she's led a group since their freshman year, they're juniors now. She leads them in, in meeting once a week, getting in the word. They still do that virtually. So uh, she's been involved in the campus ministries and specifically the, the mentorship program. Well, thank you, Andrew. We really appreciate you taking the time yeah. to come and talk to us. It's great to hear the success that you're enjoying at Grove City and we, we wish you all the best in your upcoming season. We hope that you have a season and that it's a winning season and and that uh, you win the championship. That yeah. would be great. Uh, Absolutely. That's, that's the goal. It. <laughs> it's, it's obvious to me why you win. You're a winner. Uh, appreciate it. It is a blessing to, to yeah. be on with you. Thank you so much for considering me and having me on. It's, uh, it's an honor, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, Andrew. Thank you.
Without a vision, the people perish. Vision, process, love. Brick by brick, Andrew is building not just a football team, but a way of life into his players. He is teaching them faith. And that lesson can be implied to our lives as well. Jesus is our vision. Eternity in heaven is our future. And as we grow into our relationship with him, as we dig deeper in the word and learn not only what we believe, but why we believe it, that vision grows clearer. The longer we fix our eyes on heaven, the less focused we are on the fleeting reality that is here and now. That vision is why Paul could say to live as Christ, to die as gain. Because the Lord, through his word and his leading, puts that vision, that view, into our hearts. And there is a process that we as believers are in. In Romans 5, 1-5, Paul describes it as this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the process that believers have lived since the beginning of our faith. It can be the refiner's fire, the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest night, and the mountaintop experiences. And with every season he brings us through, he teaches us hope and to know his love. Love is at the heart of it all. After all, God is love, and his love for his creation was so strong that he was willing to endure death and separation for us. And by that love, we learn how to love him back, and to love those around us, and to express that love by living the vision he gives us. And as our world grows increasingly more volatile, with pandemics, riots, and rumblings, we need that vision. We need the assurance a relationship with the Lord brings. We need the vision of who He is, and who He says we are. We are here for His purposes. We are here to bring Him glory. He is our why and gives us our what, whether it be circumstances we must endure, opportunities we get to walk into, or adversity we must face. Without a vision, the people perish. We all need a vision of our home. So fix your eyes on Jesus. He will hold you close when others' hearts fail them around you. If you have any questions about a relationship with the Lord, or about our guests or show, please feel free to contact us at info at thescatteredseedspodcast.com. That's I-N-F-O at T-H-E-S-C-A-T-T-E-R-E-D-S-E-E-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. You can also visit our website, thescatteredseedspodcast.com, where you'll find all of our episodes, information about our guests, links to guests' ministries, ways to connect with our show, and more. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So thank you for joining us for another episode of the Scattered Seeds Podcast. We hope to have you back next time on the show where every life has a story. next time on the scattered seeds podcast i think first and foremost i have tried to harvest an understanding for the men that i spend time with that we need to love one another on the two greatest commandments in the bible we just went through it on a bible study today with a bunch of scouts coaches agents love thy neighbor as thyself love your lord god with all your heart the word love is hard for some men to say what's really hard to say is i love you to a man I went through this process where I started it to really push this thing forward uh, to create a, I was hoping a groundswell or create a weight was at the bottom of the emails. I have to make a difference today. Love Clint. Let's freak some guys out. And that's not the purpose, however, but I'm not going to sacrifice or lower my bar. 
of my intentionality to let you know I love you. And I mean it. And there's people out there I haven't met yet that I said that I'm writing. I love to. And I look forward to meeting them. And so I can tell them that I love them. I'm trying to harvest that or foster that own feeling in my own heart. That I need to love more. It needs to be an action verb. And by loving more, I communicate more. I listen better. And I want to show people how much I love them while they're here. I've seen it too many times. We talk about love when they're gone. And we got a chance to foster and, and cultivate and grow that love now. The Scattered Seeds podcast is brought to you by Beverly Heights Presbyterian Church and our friends at Grove City College, where faith and freedom matter.